welcome once again to the How Long to Beat podcast. Uh, as always, this is Rick speaking to you through the magic of the internet. Um, and through the magic of the internet, I am speaking from the UK to Paula, all the way in Chile. Hello. And Alex from sunny, sunny, warm Canada. So warm. <laughs> Although we did have a warm <laughs> week this week, actually, but it's gotten cold again. <laughs> Ah, oh, there you go. Classic. Which warm to me is um, probably cold to you, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we we did this whole thing last time. It's all relative, right? That's how exactly. it goes. <laughs> and we've got relatively few completions this week, by which I mean only Alex has got some completions mm-hmm. this week. Um, but between the three of us, we've also got retirements, currently playing games. Um, a topic, as always, this week talking about what is or isn't a modern game and where you draw that line. Um, and a brand new round of the hit podcast game show sensation how long, how long to, be to, be? How long to be the game, the game. The game. Um, that felt quite good on my end which I can't normally say it wasn't that bad um, <laughs> <laughs> let's escape from this conversational dead end Alex what have you completed this week yes so I've completed actually a couple things um, I, I beat the cube escape collection um, so that mm. one's all done and that was a lot of fun. Like theater in the cave are definitely, I would say, two of the more involved uh, of the episodes because it's like the ninth and tenth. I think, or no, it's eighth and the ninth. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, so they're pretty involved. They're actually like a fair bit longer. They're definitely more than an hour um, on each of them. Uh, a l- getting a little more obtuse even than some of the earlier ones. Like some of the stuff. Like I looked up on a guide and I was like, "Are you for fucking real?" I was supposed to figure that out. <laughs> Um, so I was like, all right, whatever. But uh, I finished those. I'm understanding the story more. I definitely think, um, like, I know, Paula, you did the Rusty Lake stuff. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think you should probably play the Cubescape games because they're genuinely the whole story. Like, it's, like, like, sure, I don't fully know what's going on, you know what I mean? But I know what's going on in a sense, right? Where I, like, I don't feel completely confused. Like, I'm like, okay. I know who these characters are. I'm starting to understand a little bit more. Uh, I, I know who the main kind of character is. I'm understanding the concept of memories and like what we're actually going through in this and what's happening. And um, Samsara Room definitely fills in more of that. Um, but I would say, oh, I forgot to add because I guess I'm playing another one. Uh, but I'll talk about that in playing. Uh, I think I'm going to take a break from it for a little bit because I'm like, fucking hell. I've, I've done a lot of Cube Escape now. I've probably played like up to 10 hours of Cube Escape at this point. <laughs> so I've mm. gone through it. And it's great. It's wonderful. But you do get a point where you're like, all right, no, a lot of fish. <laughs> like, just random. Those puzzles definitely start to merge if you hit them back to back to back to back. Yeah. And like they just yeah. merge in your brain a little bit where like you think you know what you're playing, but you're like, wait a minute. Didn't I already do this? Um to their credit, I don't think they've ever like really repeated a puzzle or anything. Um, they've definitely repeated themes of the puzzles. Um, that's also the nature of the story of these games. So I'm not holding that against them. Um, anyway, mm. so yeah, beat the collection. It's very fun. I beat Samsara Room. It was good. Um, not the best of them. I know it kind of connects all. It's like the prequel, but is it really? Um, <laughs> you're like, technically it is. Um, but with the way this game works, You'll know what I mean when I say, is it really? Because anyway, this whole, the, the whole series deals with time. We'll put it that way with the past, present and future. That's like a big, big, huge thematic point within it. Um, mm. So time is a little nebulous in these games, uh, which is actually what makes it really fun. I think. Um, so yeah, I still recommend them. They're, they're cool. They're fucking, it's twin peaks 
that's what it is. <laughs> like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, but like a different world, but it's basically that. It's very Lynchian. Uh, Citizen Sleeper, I, be- I beat Citizen Sleeper. I mean, I basically 100%ed it. Actually, I think I did. Like, I there's nothing else. I-, I said I, like, did main plus extras because I guess technically because I completed certain missions that, like, negate certain other ones, I didn't see everything. Um, but I I basically saw everything. And, and I even finished up to the... Because they have two out of three episodes now, free episodes released. So I've completed, uh, finished the second one. So now I'll just wait for the third one to come out. Um, yeah, it, it the ending just sneaks up on you because it doesn't really end, right? Like there are many endings, uh, and so I saw kind of all of the major, most of the major endings at least. I have like eighty or ninety percent of the achievements on it at this point. Um, and so like, I really like how kind of modular it is now i think if there is a critique of it it is in the fact that it doesn't end um like truly just does not end um yes you so have is that how the dlc works like because it's open-ended when you roll credits you can go back to your save and do well rolling credits is meaningless in this game because when you roll okay. credits you just click continue and you just keep you just keep going um oh. now if you choose something that takes you off of the eye yeah, you end, but then if you click continue, you just start right before it happened, which is a great mechanic. I love that, that I don't have to go back and do all this. It just puts you back before you made that critical choice. Um, but also, it kind of creates the problem of your choices are kind of meaningless. They don't matter because you're just going to go back and do whatever anyway. Um, so it's a double-edged it's a double edged sword in a, in a lot of ways, right? Because I, I sort of feel like I don't know. I, I guess we can talk about this more when you finish it. I guess thematically, it does kind of make sense. Like, you're going to stay on the eye, but it is a little weird. Like, you feel like, oh, you finished. But, like, I guess that's just an ending that I could do. I guess I could just do this ending if I wanted. I guess I could do this one. This, you know what I mean? Like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't really feel like when you make a choice that, like, that's a big deal. You're just like, okay, well, I made that choice. And now I'm just going to go back and do the other choice. And then I'll just keep going. And I'll see all of the possible mm. ways that my game could end. Um that being said, the endings that they have created are very poignant and great, um, and I love the world they've made, and it's still one of my favorite games I've played in a long time. Like, I, It's easily a 9 out of 10 for me. The only thing keeping it personally from a 10 is the lack of a satisfying conclusion, which this DLC might potentially bring, because it is pretty interesting so far. Um, I, I really do enjoy what they're, because they're really expanding the world. It actually feels like a setup for whatever they're going to, I'm sure they'll work on a sequel. I think this has been pretty successful for them. I would hope they would work on, even if it's not a sequel with your character, like I would love to see more in the world they've made, you know? Mm. Um, uh, because they're really expanding the world out and I'm learning a lot more. It's very expansive. Like this really feels like the expanse, um, but like slightly like, shifted a little like even talking about the belt and stuff like they have like i don't know a lot of the mechanics within this and like the world they've created it's that very like you know real future but like the overtaking of capitalism and the just like how much it would actually suck to live in a space station (laughs) like there's no you just you're stuck in this little fucking tin box um but yeah the characters are fantastic again beautiful to look at um it's on game pass like i mean like honestly of all the game pass games i'm like you really should play this one like it's just i I feel like everyone can enjoy this there's nothing holding you back from it um it does get a bit repetitive near the end when you have to start to wait for things and you've kind of done everything and so you just kind of are going through the days 
Yeah, that can get a little... where I'm at now, yeah. Yeah, because I've sort of maxed it to the point where, like, nothing matters. Like, I... I have have all the perks, and so I'm never, ever, ever losing any of my dice anymore. Um, More cry than you know what to do with. You can make stabilizers. Yeah. Yeah, I can make and buy multiple different areas. I can just use scrap, which... Really, if I just use get one scrap a day, it's fine. I'm I'm infinitely yeah, that okay. Broke the game. Yeah. It really does. Um, and I don't know if it has any thematic utility. Anyway, um, I, like I said, I love the game. I think there are some things that they could have done, perhaps, to massage it a little bit more. Um, because it, literally, when I came to the end, I was like, oh my god. I'm in the late game. Like, I didn't even realize. Do you know what I mean? It just kind of happens. You're just like, oh shit. I've done a ton of stuff and I've almost got all the way through it. So anyway, really cool game. Highly recommend. Has some little thingies here and there. I'm sure we'll talk more when we get to your playing there, Rick. But yeah. Well, I might even just sort of tag it on now. Obviously, I'm yeah, playing well, it. It's yeah. relevant to the discussion. I mean, the, the mad thing is I'm incredibly close to having finished it Mm. so literally as we were coming onto the podcast i was a few minutes late because i was a not watching the clock because i was so engrossed in the game and b in the back of my mind had i do want to try and finish this so i can just talk about the complete experience um this time it's gonna have to wait till next week that's just the reality of the situation um this was a 10 out of 10 i think the first half of this game um and, and we touched on this a little bit last week perfectly encapsulates the idea of like making tough choices and trying to balance all these meters in a way that really is relevant and tied into the story. What unfortunately happens is you do sort of come to a point where, um, again, you have all the cryo you need. None of the meters are actually sort of putting you in any jeopardy. Um, you're not having to like cut things or make tough choices necessarily. Um, and I think that does undercut what the game's doing a little bit. And again, I'm, I'm still leaning on a nine myself. Um, it has been a wonderful game. The writing, it can't be understated just how excellent the game is written or how excellently it is written um, and how well the art complements that. Um, the, the 3D sort of polygonal world is quite sparse, but that doesn't detract in any way. I think if anything, it, it lets more of your focus go on to the the character portraits and um all of the detail and the love and the care that's been put into those um the dlc chapter is an interesting one i kind of wish i knew that it didn't need to be done in the main story because i i've gotten to the point where there's a few counters that i'm waiting for to to progress things and i actually do think I'm, i'm more or less at the end of the game um once there's like an eight cycle countdown that i've just initiated um through a chain of side quests that i've put together alex is nodding in a sense that makes me think that might actually i'm assuming be the it involves it. the hub is that accurate it's the yeah it's the, the seed you get from the navigator yeah yeah i know what you're talking about yeah oh oh so, that yeah. one oh oh okay i did that one really early on but you could do them in any order so oh okay maybe i'm, I'm somewhere different the things i've had the you seed have a while left to through. go with that one Oh, okay. So I've had that seed in my inventory for God knows how long. Maybe it just took me longer than it was supposed to to uh, to get the the Rico quest longer. Anyway, um, maybe I'm not quite as close to the end as I thought. Interesting. But I am far enough through that 
um, all of the meters have become meaningless. Um, and like a fool, I've started the DLC bit in a window where it actually might cause me a slight problem. But bar you know minor balancing issues, the game is wonderful. And I think I'll probably echo what you said, Alex, in that um, particularly with the barrier to entry being so low, um, it's on Switch, it's on Game Pass, it's on PC. Um, it's not an expensive game. Obviously, it's like a, a, an indie title. I think it's a solo dev as well. Um, there's no... I think it is, yeah. I, I can't think of any reason that I would tell someone not to try it. You know, maybe if you don't like reading or fun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very, very accessible. I think it's well worth, um, well worth people's time to check out, including <clears throat> Paola. Uh, what me? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this Paula you speak of? <laughs> she sounds lovely. Uh, I don't know Paula. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Paula and I, neither of us have finished anything this week. Um, I have got a couple of retirements, so that's probably um one for us to roll across into. Um, first of those. Uh, and some background to this one, Netflix have got loads of free Android games, some of them quite high profile. And what I'd sort of resolved to do is download and try any of them that look interesting. It's worth saying for anyone who wants to sort of cringe along with us 12 minutes, that is one of the games on there. Um, but there's also, like, <laughs> there's also actually decent games, like Spiritfarer has got an, an excellent critical reception. Uh, Dester is an exclusive game. That's from the makers of Monument Valley. Um heads up if you want a party game exploding kittens ditto quite a few other ones um of varying sizes um the one i tried and ultimately just couldn't vibe with myself uh was hextech mayhem a league of legends story so i've never played lol i don't really have any awareness of it um but this is a rhythm action game like an auto runner um with a with a, a music gameplay component uh looked interesting i thought i'd give it a go Music didn't grip me, neither did the gameplay, unfortunately. Um, and again, I've got no investment in that IP, so there was no reason for me particularly to try and push through. Uh, that was a very quick drop. I think I played the first four or five songs. And the problem that this game has, I say problem, I, I probably two big drawbacks, again, besides the, the lack of any sort of IP investment or anything like that. The first one is that uh, there are only three inputs. There is jump, there is um, like a, a ground pound, and there is a bomb throw. Um, the music doesn't, therefore, have a lot of room to breathe. You don't have a lot of expression within your inputs matching the music. Um, conversely, there are alternate paths, and the game's not super clear on how it wants you to approach this. So... Um, if I contrast it with something like Groove Coaster, um, which is a great rhythm game um, on mobile and arcades, and there's like a, a, a mixed bag steam port sort of thing, um, it is on a single continuous path. You have um, nodes to press or scratch or hold or slide. Um, when there are gaps, um, if you time it to the music, you can put in like scratch notes and earn extra points and find like um, hidden counters to hit. Uh, that works because you're on a single path. Your input's not throwing you off course. Uh, with Hextech, there are um, 
collectibles and pickups and extra things away from the inputs, but you are graded in part on your ability to hit the inputs. Um, and so it feels like you're sort of torn between two things and not in a way that like, oh, that's an interesting choice you've um, presented me with. More in a, oh, what the fuck do you want me to do? Sort of way. More so, like you should only be hitting these if you're trying to replay the level. That's the idea, right? Like they're just... Maybe, but it, just it's just not well communicated. It. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, I didn't care enough to try and dig any deeper into it is the bottom line. Um, mm. Your mileage may vary. And then the second retirement, and this is a very soft retirement, um, is Jelly Car Worlds. The reason I've parked this one, while I was having quite a lot of fun, um, is that of the eight levels, or the eight worlds, two of them are marked as coming soon. So what I decided to do is I enjoyed the first three worlds, had a great nostalgia trip with it. Um, there's lots of other things I'd like to come back to on Switch, so I've parked it. I'm going to check it again maybe in the summer, um, and hopefully those extra levels will have been added at that point. Um, but none of that is to discourage anyone who sounds, or anyone to whom that sounds interesting, from checking it out because it is really good. Um, for me, particularly, it's been a lovely nostalgia trip, but even if you never um, had any experience with these games originally, um, it's a really fun um, novel sort of platforming um, concept. Uh, there's nothing quite like it, and there's a lot of physics-based fun in there. I think the interesting thing for me, particularly with this entry, uh, not so much with the phone entries because it's tilt control and it's a bit more madcap, um, you have a great degree of control, but at the same time, there's lots of um, emergent madness and uncertainty with the jelly physics, but never in a way that feels particularly unfair. So it's this beautiful blend of uh, seeing what happens and feeling empowered to try and like replay to hit high scores, pick up bonus collectibles, find extra exits, all that stuff. So it's a game with a surprising amount of depth, certainly. Um, a depth that I wasn't expecting going in. Um, yeah, so that's my retirements. I believe you have a couple of retirements as well, Alex. One yeah. I expected, one I very much did not. Well, they're not that interesting. Um, well, oh, I mean, okay. the one you probably cool. didn't expect is Chained <laughs> Echoes. Yeah, I know. A lot of my retirements are just, literally the only reason Chained Echoes is retired, it's not, it's, it's on hold. Because I just, I got two new games that I very, very, very excited to play and they're shorter. So I was like, well, I'll just beat those and then go back to it. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Plus, I got to a point in that game where it's like a, a pretty good like end point um, because I've played the tutorial. I know how the game works, basically. And so I've just finished like, yeah, in Chained Echoes in particular, I just finished like a big story beat. And so it's kind of like, you know how like a lot of these JRPGs are kind of like TV shows. You kind of go through like little seasons, right? <laughs> where you do like doing stuff and. I, I kind of hit that with this one. So I'm like, oh, this is actually a good spot to just pause because the next part has more setup for like the next story moments. Um, mm. So I'm kind of like, oh, this is a good area to just kind of put it on hold for now uh, and come back to later. Um, the other one I retired is Persona 5 Strikers. I just, I'm done. I finished. It's like with Shin Megami Tensei 4. I, I had my fun and I'm done. Um, it's sort of, uh, or was it five, five? Yeah, it was five. There we go. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? You get to a point where like, and I find with a lot of these games, like these action RPGs, even with JRPGs, um, unless the story is super compelling, I tend to fall off a little bit. Um, or, and, and if the gameplay is really good, I'll stay on. But Persona 5 Strikers is good. It's just not like 
amazing for me, you know? Like, the story's fine, but I've already had, like, a full hundred-something hours with these characters, and I already feel pretty good. And again, clearly I don't remember that well, because I didn't even fucking remember Haru was a character, even. I was like, who the fuck is this lady? <laughs> and she so and she's late game in them. your defense. Yeah, she is. She's late game, and she also feels out of place with the other characters. I don't know what it is, but there's something about her character that just doesn't seem to mesh with them, and it's probably because she's late game. So you don't get to, like, really know her as well. Um, and then you, it always just feels like to me, like, this lady's just kind of here and bumping in on my Phantom Thieves. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't really know if I recommend the game. I think I, I do if you, like, really loved Persona 5 um, and you're looking for more than, like, yeah, I'd give it to I'd say, like, yeah, go ahead. But I don't know. It, it, it's fine. It's just, like... In today's world, there are so many good games out there <laughs> that a game that's, like, not bad and is, like, decent is just not enough for me, you know? Like, I'm like, eh, it's good, but it's not it's not sparking something in me, you know? I'm not feeling, like, real excited about it. I'm just feeling kind of like, that's a game! <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, so that's Persona 5 Strikers. Um, that's everything, I think, that's retired. Um, so I think, yeah, this is a quick one. Let's roll right into... Um, what we've been playing then and like Apala, how about you take it over now yeah so i've been trying to make a competitive i first of all i'm on my quest to completing the Wokedex on pokemon scarlet and so far i got 300 370 pokemon out of 400 so 30 to go Crikey. i'm just waiting Jesus here Christ. for someone to um someone who i'm not gonna name uh, who is supposed to be playing Violet and getting all the uh, exclusive Pokemon that I need to complete the Pokedex. <laughs> that one is Felipe. And <laughs> um, hopefully I'll be able to start shiny hunting somewhere sometime soon. And also I've been trying to read a competitive team. So right now I am, as we speak, hatching some esprigatitos mm -hmm. because they're surprisingly good uh, physical sweepers, Neoscaradites at the very least. So I'm trying to get one with five IVs where IVs is the individual values of each Pokemon. And that are perfect, I mean, they're like 31 out of 31. And I'm just trying to get one that has like all individual values um, at 31 except for a special attack because this one is a physical attacker. And I'm probably speaking gibberish to you both, but- I mean, I yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I've always heard so, of EVs, but I've never actually understood what they are. Like, I know they're like, anyway, you know what? Don't even explain it to me. It's fine. <laughs> we're, we're just happy, like happy your power, happy power. Exactly. Yeah, the airport values, and the, those are the EVs, are the points you train your Pokemon in. Mm -hmm. So you have the genetics, those are the IVs, and the uh, training is the EVs. That Pokemon is pretty eugenics much simulator. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, no kidding. Mm. Um, right now, I also found 
I also got a uh, Spiradito with the hidden ability because Pokemon usually have one or two abilities that they can come with, like, just in, if you encounter them just in the wild. But if you um, level them through the Terror Raid, in, where, in which you can play with up to four players, uh, to battle a very strong Terra type, Terra Pokemon, like a Pokemon that has been terrestrialized. I think that's the word. Which pretty much means it uh, kind of like just change its type uh, with the process of terrestrialization and it is a different type from the Torino type. They still gibberish. And the thing is, is that those uh, Terra types, Terra, Terra Pokemon, sorry, um, not only have uh, very good stats, they also have the hidden ability. So, for example, Sprigatito uh, has usually the uh, ability Overgrowth, where if it has, let's see, let's say, 20, 30 or twenty-five percent of 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 it of its HP left. Um, it does more damage on grass type attacks. While the other ability, what it does, it it is called protein, and it allows the Pokemon to change its type to the uh, type of the attack it is using. For for example, my spray that it, my Mioscarada is um dark grass and it can use let's say um flare wrap which is a fairy type move and it will change its type to the fairy type which is kind of like terrestrializing but in uh, in the form of an ability it is kind of weird and in that way it gets the same type attack bonus, which will give an extra boost to the attack if it is the same type that it, the attack is. And sorry, I will leave it at that because both of you don't seem like they're understanding like a leak of it. It's like, it's not that I don't fully understand. I just realized, like, I'm suddenly realizing probably how my parents felt when I would describe Pokemon names. Like, when you don't know who the new ones are, you haven't seen them. I was like, oh my god, this sounds like gibberish. I was like, who is Sprigito? Like, that must be one of the new ones, right? Yeah, Sprigito. Oh, yeah, please show me. Oh, it's the cat. The grass cat. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. The starter. Okay, there we go. Yeah, this is one of the first Pokemon games that hasn't pulled me in in a while. Um, I, you know, they got me back with X and Y back in the day, and I'm done. <laughs> they did get me back with X and Y back in the day, too. Yeah. That was a good generation. I, I liked it a lot. I think some people shit on it, but I'm going to be real. It brought back a ton of players, especially a lot of us who were playing in the originals. Uh, I think X and Y really, really... <laughs> Strung a lot of people back into it. Yeah, um, I think Mega Evolutions also gave uh, old Pokemon like Mewtrix uh, exactly. to play with. So they brought uh, uh, Charizard and 
later they were back Pokemon like the other starters and Stolfro and mm -hmm. I'm trying to think other Pokemon that have uh, and Gyarados just has uh, Mega Form too. And so on. It looks like a shrimp, but still a Mega Form. <laughs> and that is my very overcomplicated explanation of my adventures on Pokemon Scarlet. The other thing that I've been playing, and it's kind of like a way to build my competitive team, is Pokemon Showdown. That it is pretty much a Pokemon battle simulator where you can build your team however you want to test them out before going through the process of getting your Pokemon in-game and breeding them and trying to get like the correct ability all Davies and trying to train them. Which it can honestly be a pain in the butt, especially like in the older games. Though it has been streamlined to hell and back in the newer Pokemon games, which not gonna lie, it has been a godsend in that regard. The only thing that I'm still bitching about is why do the starter Pokemon gender radio is one two seven, and I can't get a female Sprigatito to to continue my breeding chain here, and it is horrible. That sentence breeding chain is insane. <laughs> yeah, it's only At okay least... because it's about like computer monsters. Otherwise, it gets very sketchy very quickly. Right. You know what? Like, if you start talking about Pokemon breeding Pokemon, like you exchanging Pokemon with other people, like you're pretty much trafficking Pokemon at this point, like Team Rocket. Yeah. Like in X and Y and Sun and Moon, I was also breeding for a competitive team and I saved like all those perfect extra extra perfect Pokemon that I wasn't gonna use and pretty much started trafficking them uh, with my other Pokemon friends that were uh, reading for other Pokemon that is like, oh, you have a five for IV. Let's, uh, oh I don't God. know. Oh my God, you're so right. Alolan Ninetales. How about I give you this very special uh, Pikachu uh, for that because it has like a mega move that is, you have to read for it to, to get it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a fair trade. And it's like, yeah, we're trafficking Pokemon. We're not only fighting each other with animals we uh, enslave or like bred for it. We're also trading the Pokemon. And that's for like their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny that like the system they've created goes like so against the morals they put within the like obviously there's nothing actually like it's just a game you're having fun but like i do think that is kind of funny that like the games themselves kind of go against the very thing that the games are so much fun about <laughs> yeah like in the anime it's like oh you're fighting alongside your friends and this is like a very special pokemon you could and with the power of friendship you'll pull through at the last minute and here you're like Okay, I need my genetically perfectly engineer uh, Mioscarada to win this battle. And if it's not perfect, well, for Guess a thing, getting it's, released. The, <laughs> it's getting either released or getting to the black market. So, yeah, or welcome to the breeding chain. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> There's the episode title right there. Oh my god, yeah. That's a scary title, but I like it. I like it. Yeah. Let's get out of this scary place for a little bit. So how about any of you take it away? Rick? Yeah, you've been playing a lot of stuff. I have. I feel like I'm never not playing a lot of stuff, to be fair. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty on the nose. So, first thing we've been playing, um, and this is one that I think we've mentioned in previous episodes and it's come back in, um, Part-Time UFO is a, incredible in co-op. Um, I've already played the whole thing through in single player, but it's been lovely sort of re-experiencing it with my girlfriend. Um, there's a particular level that we just played earlier today, actually, um, where you are rebuilding um like a, a japanese um i don't know how to describe the building it there's like it's almost like a, a japanese sort of war castle sort of thing with um I, there's no good way to describe it anyway you're building you're rebuilding a building there's some constituent components you have to put them together in the right order and, and rebuild the building while you're doing that uh, ninjas are popping up at random and throwing shurikens at you and uh, one of the things you have to do to get a perfect score is not get hit by a shuriken, which was frustrating enough when it was just me playing. But when there's two of you playing and you're coordinating, and not only do you need to dodge the shurikens, but for some of the components, you need a shuriken to hit it to give you something to grab onto to actually move it around with your grabber arm. Um, and it's a hoot. It, it's the best kind of co-op fun where the game is good and, uh, and that sort of thing elevates it. Uh, it's very simple to understand really easy to introduce someone to and get them on board with um having a blast with this one all over again um i am also finally into the groove with valkyrie profile lenith um i have to say i'm quite glad i stuck with this one because it's finally clicked um the opening few hours are painfully slow um i feel like it's it's where the game really shows its age um but once you're sort of eased into the game's cadence um, the fact that the story is, for the most part, told in vignettes um, rather than having a proper overarching narrative. There is one, but it doesn't really... Certainly at this stage of the game, it doesn't really become its own thing. Um, it's easier to follow once that makes sense to you. Uh, it's also worth saying that the combat, once you actually get a few characters and you unlock a few extra abilities, starts to make a lot more sense as well. Um, I do need to have a quick Google because... I played this series backwards and the most recent Chron... Well, no, that's not true because Elysium technically exists, but Covenant of the Plume on DS, which was a strategy RPG, um, had most characters having multiple attacks per turn from the off. Um, the original game seems not to give you that immediately unless I've misunderstood something. So I do need to have a quick Google uh, around that. Let me know in the comments if I've been an idiot and what I've missed. Um, but the the actual dungeon crawling once the combat is a little bit more fleshed out once you've got some more characters to play around with once you've got a few more abilities um is really really good as well um i do think this is the kind of game where if you're playing it in in this 2023 and beyond um really using a guide is essential one because the proper ending is locked behind a series of really arbitrary obscure impossible just to intuit requirements um partially just because it means that you don't have to rely on the game's woeful internal mapping system. Um, and also partly because it's on archive.org. Like, you can just download um, a scan of the Brady Games guide 
for Lenneth. So there, there's no reason not to. Like, the barrier to entry is incredibly low. Um, and um, it makes the game that much more fun uh, when you can focus on the game itself and you don't have to worry about, like, holding in your head which of the four, um, like, character paths you're on for the story. You don't have to keep track of what's coming at where. You don't have to mentally store um, the requirements for the Iron Harriar that you're sending or, you know, waste a turn um, in the overworld going back to the fairy who can tell you those requirements. It frees you up to actually enjoy what the game does well, which is the combat and the world building um, and some really nice um, sort of 90s, late 90s pixel art. Um, it is a wee bit stretched out on the PSP release. Um, and I think in hindsight, I might have um, booted up the PSX version um, and played that on there rather than playing the, the native PSP port. Uh, however, the, the game as a whole is really fantastic. Um, and, and certainly now that I've gotten into the, into the swing with it, I'm enjoying it infinitely more than I, than I have been over the past few weeks when I've talked about it previously. Um, not really any further in FF7 Remake. Uh, but I am still playing it. Um, talked about Citizen Sleeper. I don't need to retread that ground. Um, two games left to talk about in terms of playing. Uh, both relatively fresh starts. Uh, the first is Klonoa 2 Lunatea's Veil for the PS2. Um, I've got a bit of a convoluted setup for this. I'm playing on my phone because phones can emulate PS2 now, which is fucking wild. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so great. I've got... Okay. I've got one of the fancy Samsung folding devices. So what I've been doing um, on my commute, if I'm like not feeling an RPG, i.e. Valkyrie profile, I have been booting the emulator up on my phone, um, putting the phone in a stand. Um, I've got a spare DualShock 4 that I've just got paired up to the phone. Um, and I'm running Klonoa, baby. Uh, and I'm just showing my fellow host there. Dang. PS2. Just running on the phone. The future is now. It's good screen size for it. The future truly is now. What a time to be alive. Um, and it looks great on the screen. I'm still in the first level, but like it's more Klonoa. Um, and Klonoa is great. You know, it's not earth shatteringly different, but it's solid, um, unique platforming fun. There's nothing quite like it. Um, and actually, once I've played that, I think I've got the Wonder Swan release. And the, like, if I can be bothered, the, the Game Boy Advance ARPG, they got a fan translation. And then basically that's me through the series. I've played both the GBA games. I've played the original. Um, so, yeah, no more Clonoa, sad fact. Anyway. I've heard that um, ARG is actually pretty good. I, I've only played the opening maybe five minutes, and it seemed quite by the numbers. Maybe yeah. that's me just writing it off too early. I am going to come back to it. Um, we'll see, I guess. Uh, and then the last one, and this will probably be an interesting segue because it looks like you're playing the remake, Alex. Darn right. Um, so not only has Dead Space recently been remade in all its glory um, for current consoles, and by all accounts, it's actually a phenomenal port, which is a pleasant surprise, or a phenomenal remake, I should say. Um, recently, the mobile game entitled Dead Space, um, but in fact, more like Dead Space 1.5, it's like a prequel the Dead Space 2 explaining how um, the the situation is what it is at the outset of that game. Um, 
what some crazy clever people have done is they found um, a port of that game for the Xperia Play, the Sony phone that had the slide-out keyboard, a little bit like PSP Go, but with um, digital um, sort of touch-sensitive nubs instead of a proper analog stick. Um, they have ported that to Vita. They've made a wrapper that, that allows it to be understood natively on the Vita um, and released it, obviously, without the relevant files, um, which... <laughs> Even though you can't buy that game anymore, EA literally won't sell it to you because it's not supported on any of the newer devices. Um, you can understand why they didn't want a lawsuit there. But if you know where to look, you can find those files anyway. And um, having already played that game through once on mobile, it's so different playing it with proper controls. Um, the core game itself so far still holds up, and I'm in the first of 12 chapters, so it's a relatively fresh start. Um but what a game back when they actually made proper games for mobile, back when they actually tried. Um, yeah. Yep, those were Still different times. I'll, <laughs> I'll probably have more to, to say on both of those uh, next week, but for now, know that I'm playing them. Um, and that probably provides us with an excellent segue, actually, to you, Alex, um, yeah. and, and how you're finding, unless you want to talk about the other two first, how no, you're no. finding Let's jump uh, the Dead Space bit. remake. Yeah, this... Um... There's no reason to play Dead Space 2008 anymore. There just isn't. Like, genuinely, there's absolutely no reason. It's the same thing with Resident Evil 2 Remake, where, like, unless, I don't know, you're nostalgic or you can't afford the new one or something, um, which that's fair. You could go back and play it, but it's it's incredible. Like, it is, yeah. I, I It's kind of hard for me to describe how good this is because it's been ages since I've played Dead Space, though it was one of my favorite games back in the day. Because keep in mind, mm. Dead Space came out in 2008, um, which is a long time ago now. Um, and I remember... 15 years. Yeah, I remember playing the shit out of it um, on Xbox. I've, I've played that game at least two or three times because um, it's not super long. Uh, it is gorgeous, first off. Like, holy shit gorgeous. No load screens at all. You just start playing and that's it um the ishimura looks incredible sounds amazing those goddamn creepy motherfuckers are still terrifying and feel even more lethal than they did before um i got fucking surprised attacked uh really early on in the game and i was just done and i was like oh my god like i forgot how to do like the proper combat uh shooting off the limbs is super satisfying your stomp sounds so good i've just been curb stomping these baddies whenever i cut their damn legs off um the ui is incredible you know it's all that you know, like the fact that there's no like you know it's all like in-game ui right um like they give like a a reason for it to exist um you know like you could see your health on your back and it looks awesome the powers are so like weighty and um just fun the the you know character animations and everything have been upgraded so well um isaac looks quite different but like an actual human being now um <laughs> and uh yeah man i don't know it's like so i you know i haven't bought a new game in a long time and i technically didn't buy this because i, I just uh i just traded in three xbox games that were not worth three together this one game <laughs> but hey eb games does that trade three get it free and i was like hmm I'll trade in Xbox games that technically just qualify for your <laughs> for your promotion because it was three <laughs> games that they gave. Like to give an example, I, I I just feel good about this. I love this kind of trading because I traded Tiny Tina's Wonderlands or whatever 
And the highest offer I got trying to sell it on my own was 30 bucks and it traded in for 30 um, with this promotion. And then it was something like, I don't know, like I think it was like the Lego game, the Star Wars one, which I'm like, I'm not playing. Um, and Strangers of Paradise. Because I just, I, I thought maybe, I'd, which by the way, I bought all of those for less than this game because <laughs> they were on Boxing Day sales. So I feel like I made some money today, which is nice. Um, but like, let's be real here. I'm never playing that Stranger of Paradise game. It, it's apparently just good. And so I was looking at it and I was like, I'm never going to play this. There's so many amazing <laughs> games right now. I'm never getting to the okay game. It's just not happening. Um, so mm. instead, I got myself Dead Space. And I'm very pleased that I did. I'm going to play this one pretty slowly, I think. I want to kind of savor the experience of this game again. Um, and also, it's really stressful. Um, because of the like the effects that they've put into it and like the remakes quality yeah i can only play for so long because then i'm like huh i need to breathe because <laughs> this goddamn thing you never know when someone's coming and like because i haven't played it in so long like you said it's been you know I, it's probably been a decade since i've replayed the game at least um i don't remember anything in this game you know like i'm like oh i don't remember what happens next and for all i know they've from what i understand that it's like extremely faithful I think they've only changed like some little things in terms of like probably, you know, combat and stuff and like a little bit of just like um, quality of life stuff. Uh, so, yeah, if you like survival horror in the slightest, I 100% recommend getting this game. Um, and I also wanted to support the fact that like, look, I don't like EA. I don't think many of us do, but they did right by this game. There's no season pass shit they didn't try to add in any more fucking shit like they did with dead space 3 they just let them remake dead space properly and it's just you just buy it and that's it you got your game you're good to go <laughs> like mm. that's all you gotta do and so i'm just like okay thank you please remake dead space 2 and then let them completely change dead space 3 that would be lovely <laughs> mm. Um, or at least just like, you know, let this, let this, um, series become a thing again, because I think they mostly handled this series correctly. It was really just the overreach in Dead Space 3 that, um, kind of screwed things up because I think Dead Space 2, uh, is arguably even better than Dead Space 1. Um, though they're actually really close to each other. And this basically just turns it into the definitive Dead Space experience. And my God. I can completely see why Callisto Protocol tried to rush their game out because ain't nothing touching this fucking game. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's Dead Space. You've played Dead Space, right, Rick? I played it, the original, on PS3. Okay. Crikey, I was still... It must have been like four or five years ago now, certainly not like when it came out, but not that long after. Uh, great game. I'm not really a big survival horror guy. Um, this, I think, is one of those games where uh, whether you like the genre or not, it's the kind of game that you can still get behind. That was yes. certainly the case for me. Um, I also, obviously, as well as the mobile game, played and loved uh, the Wii spin-off, Dead Space Extraction. Yeah, which I think is that's a pretty fun. Shooter. It's really, really good. Um, I think one of, the, one of the PS3 Dead Space releases included like a PlayStation Move-compatible version of it. Hmm. So if people are emulating, if they have a setup that can make that work, that might be another way to play it. Equally, Dolphin's so easy to run on, like, most things now. Yeah. Hey, maybe they'll make it for VR. I don't know. Oh, that would be good for VR. I do think that's one that actually um, holds up better with time because I think at the time it released, we were all a little Dead Space hungry, and it's like, 
oh, okay, an on-rail shooter? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it was a little bit like, really, that's what we're getting from Dead Space? Okay. Um, and now, you know, being separated from that and just wanting more Dead Space, I think going back to Extraction is probably a much better experience at this point because it's like, you can just accept what it is. You don't have the initial disappointment of like, really? An unreal shoot. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I don't think anyone was expecting a proper Dead Space experience. Anyone that did was deluded. No, um, it's not. I don't think that's... a really cool companion piece. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I mean, the fact that when you announce it, it's like, you're putting resources into right. that and, and while you're fucking up Dead Space 3. Like, Sure, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's how I felt at the time. I was like, for fucking real? Are you serious? Come on. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Dead Space, playing that. Um, I'm still playing Pokemon Prism. I'm just like slowly making my way through it. I'm on this weird little fire. No, I'm in a prison right now, um, which is actually pretty funny. I'm fighting all the, the inmates. Um, <laughs> they, the game's pretty funny, I have to say. They've got some pretty good quips within there that I'm like, you know what? You guys have a nice sense of humor. And it doesn't like fully break the world. It's not like trying to be too meta-referential. It's just like fun shit. Um, so I'm enjoying that. Uh, still playing Gears of War Ultimate Edition with uh with my partner. Um, we haven't gotten much farther into it. Uh, it's still fun. It's still really dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, one other game that I'm playing before I talk about my favorite game that I'm playing right now. Um, I'm playing Cube Escape Paradox. Um. <laughs> which is like the last Cube Escape game. Um, Liar, you said you'd completed them naughty, Alex. No, no. This is separate from the collection. Is it? Yeah, it is. I beat the collection. Samsara Room and uh, Cube Escape Paradox are completely separate. Because Cube Escape Paradox... I knew Samsara wasn't. I didn't realize Paradox was. Yeah, Paradox has two chapters in it. The first chapter is free, and then you have to pay for the second chapter. Pay for the second. Yeah, fair enough. And they have a video, too, like a a movie, an 18-minute movie um, that you can watch. Um, uh, That's actually uh, quite good. Um, Because I think they kickstarted this one. I don't know if most of their games are kickstarted. I really haven't looked into that. But this one, I think, is 100% kickstarted. Because, like, in the first one, there's, like, a like a a file folder you can open that has like just hundreds of photos of people and i'm like all right these all have to be kickstart backers because they're anyway it it, it looks very obviously like kickstarter backers because they're just like regular folks mixed in with some puzzle clues which i have to admit i fucking hated i was like god damn it you're making me cycle through all your fucking kickstarter backers to get clues (laughs) i was like it's cool that they fucking funded the game but i paid for it too can i just get rid of this (laughs) I wish you could have that option. Pay to get rid of Kickstarter backers. Um, <laughs> nothing ruins your immersion like a bunch of Kickstarter backers um, <laughs> with hmm. just like very like weird headshots of like just selfies. Um, anyway, uh, Sebsar Room is good. Um, this one I actually feel like is truly the end. Um, like there, I actually feel like I'm getting a lot of answers as I'm playing the game. Um, and it really seems to be wrapping everything up nicely. Um, or, well, I mean, I don't know. It's Cube Escape. So, like, obviously, it's not going to fully wrap things up. They can do whatever they want. But I do feel like I'm getting to, like, the crux of it, um, which is quite nice. And, and more so in the second chapter than in the first chapter. The first chapter, yeah, you get a little bit. But as you enter into the second chapter, you're like, okay. I think <laughs> I'm seeing where you're going here. And this is pretty cool. I like it. Um, so, yeah, it's a good time. I'm going to play the Rusty Lake games afterwards. 
Uh, I think they kind of just like slot into Cube Escape in like different areas. Cause like, again, the Cube Escape games have a chronology, but kind of, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's more like a chronology of information. Um, not necessarily like a real time chronology. Um, but yeah, I kind of want to play all the Cubescape games like in the proper order this time because I played some Sarah Sarah Room as my first Cubescape game ever. And you said it ties it's up a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But also, I'm trying to think hey, maybe I could play all the Cubescape uh, games in the quote unquote correct order. Mm -hmm. And then try to find a YouTube video of something for hat guy trying to tie everything to together just for the fun of it. I'm certain that exists. <laughs> like, I totally, have yeah. zero doubt in my mind that there is a bunch of shit um, that tries to like explain the lore and the connection between them. Um, yeah, that's that's out there for sure. Um, anyway, you should you should do that. I'd be happy to talk about it with you. I think paradox actually. Um, connects everything a little bit more than Samsara Room does. Um, but Samsara Room definitely does a bit of that. It, it, it at least shows you a bit of the start of it, I guess. Um, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think you should play them in order. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they're not very long, so, you know, why not? Uh, okay, the last game that I am playing, which is by far my favorite and easily the best game of the year so far, um, is mm -hmm. Hi-Fi Rush. This game is one of the greatest games I have played in years. If I had, if this came out last year, it would have been my game of the year, probably. Um, it, yeah. Oh, it, this came out of fucking nowhere. Literally oh, yeah. out of fucking nowhere. Uh, Xbox was just like, hey, by the way, Bethesda's uh, Tango Gameworks, the guys who made The Evil Within, have made an action rhythm game. Have fun. And it was like, what? What? It's on Game Pass. It's out now. Holy shit. And guys, I like, I'm not exaggerating. This game is incredible. It's, and the reason that I would call it incredible. So like the, the, the concept behind it, um, it, it looks a lot like Spider-Verse actually. It takes like a really cartoony um, style of like comic book-esque um, animation style. Uh, and like, all, there's all these little pows and like, you know, little, whenever he moves, it'll like make little movement stuff. And the cutscenes, straight up look like you're watching a high budget animated film. Like it, it's seamless. It looks beautiful. It's style is impeccable. And the whole idea is that you're this guy, Chai, who uh, he's got like a busted arm and there's this thing called Project Armstrong, which they're like, take people and they give them like cybernetic upgrades. Um, and it's clearly there's something nefarious because like he gets brought in and they're like, oh, he'll be perfect for waste management. Um, and so, like, waste collecting. And he wants to be like a rock star. But when he gets in, and he's doing the surgery on this big factory line. His iPod, he's obsessed with music, lands on his chest. And when the surgery happens and he gets his magnetic arm, his iPod gets shoved into him. And so now his like magnetic arm is being powered by music. And so the whole world is going to the beat of the music. And so all the combat is rhythm-based, where you're trying to hit based on the rhythms. Um, and, oh, they have all this movement shit, like... You've got, you know, your light heavy attack, but then you have like extra characters can come in and help you. You have like a zip line that like hooks you towards them. You have these special moves that you could do and these big special attacks that you can let off. Um, and all of it uh, is synchronized to the beat. And so every combat that you have, you get like, um, you know, score attack uh, tabulator going up. 
and um, kind of like in Bayonetta or like Devil May Cry. And then at the end, it'll kind of tabulate like how on beat were you? Uh, how high was your combo, etc. And it's not a particularly challenging game. I'm playing it on hard actually, which I really recommend uh, people do if you have a little bit of experience. They're not trying to punish you for not being on rhythm. They're trying to encourage you to get on rhythm. So like they're really teaching you how to do that. And you can press um, one of the... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to call these anymore because like they don't have starter select anymore, but what would be the equivalent of the select button? <laughs> you know, the left one uh, turns on <laughs> a, um, a rhythm like bar that shows you what the beats are. Um, and then you can just turn that off. So like you can really quickly turn it on if you need to get back on beat. But the whole world is, is like literally bouncing to the beat. So like the environment, you see it like kind of moving and bouncing and the enemies attack on beat as well. So you time your dodges to the beat, you time your attacks to the beat, you see somebody getting ready to attack and then he'll hit on beat. So you just dodge on beat. And so you enter into this flow that is like giddily exciting. Like you feel like a kid, you're just like, this is so much fun. Like, it's just like really fun and intense. And the best way I can describe this is like, you know, that era of games like Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter. And like, there were all these games that were just like, really cartoony but really fun platformers and they just felt like like they know what they are right like they're just trying to hit a style and have fun with it and that's what this feels like it like it sounds so stupid but it feels like a video game in the best possible way you know like it's not trying to be some kind of like it's not like oh we're gonna be this high art you know exploration of this like deep intense thing it's like hey do you want to have fun do you want fun to be the primary motivator of your experience with our game? Come on in. Like, that's what it is. It's like every choice seems to be made with the idea of having a good time um, as its primary reason for existing in the game. Um, and I am so here for it. And like, you can unlock special attacks and stuff. And like, there's a bunch of secrets to find. You're like platforming around these different stages. It's broken up into stages and whatnot. Um, the voice acting is great. Chai is voiced by the uh, guy who voiced Peter Parker in like the ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, um, which is one of my favorite. It's like the best Spider-Man cartoon out there, though I have a soft spot for the 90s one. Um, but he's he's just excellent voice actor. Um, God damn, I can't even like the style, the style of this game. And it has licensed music and everything, though they do have a nice thing where like if you are a streamer, they have a streamer mode where they, you can just use their like home um, own music that they made for it. But every once in a while, you'll like have songs that are, um, you know, like popular songs as well, which also the boss fights. Oh, my God. They're very, very fun. They have these huge, intense boss fights that, of course, are, you know, tied to the rhythm. Um, oh, and it's fucking hilarious, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I have so much to talk about with this game. So um, they have this thing, which I absolutely love. They have really good involved tutorials, but they also make it so that you can just skip all the hint stuff. And like, there's actually some tutorials you can just kind of skip out on. Um, but they have this thing called like the hint bot who is really funny. Like it's this big like sign. And whenever you come up, he's like, I feel such a strong connection between us. And like, he'll, like I do all this stuff where he's like enamored with you. And if you stop talking to him, like if you close it early, he's like, oh, wow, our connection is so strong. You didn't even have to finish our conversation. Like it's like one of those things where like, <laughs> it's just like, it has all this like little like quips and stuff. And like all these little robots are like, they're so fucking funny and miserable. Like there's one robot who's like, has these tiny little arms and he's carrying like 10 boxes and he's just like, 
I wish they would give me more realistic goals. I have such tiny little arms. <laughs> like it's just like going <laughs> all these boxes. And it's just all these like little things. Like everybody is just like really cutely funny and like not um but like in universe funny, you know? Like it's like it's not necessarily just like a bunch of meta humor. It's just like, oh, this universe is like kind of ridiculous, like this kind of corporate capitalistic sort of nightmare. Um, and like all these little robots are like sentient but have like quite funny um um little dialogues with each other so every time i pass a robot i want to click on them because i just i want to see what they're going to say and it's all voiced um even like those little robots on the side are all voiced but you can like kind of skip quickly through it so um yeah i don't fuck like what's also crazy about this is like releases out of nowhere not a single issue in this game like no bugs anything nothing like that like it is flawless right now for me and i'm just like how did they keep this under wraps it's so good Mm. (laughs) um (laughs) I'm sure within the gaming industry, a bunch of people probably knew about it because, you know, you can't keep it that under wraps. But uh, fuck, man, it's it's I play this game now is what I would say. Like, that's it, it. If it's not in game of the year conversations at the end of the year, I will be really, really surprised because it's it's genuinely um, one of the best games I've played in, in so long. And um, you you will just be grinning ear to ear while playing this one. Um, it looks great. I just hope the specs aren't too beefy, so that I can run it. Yeah, I I don't think they would be because like I don't know the stylist the stylized art style. I'm hoping isn't too intense, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? If you got a PC, or you got an Xbox, oh. give it a shot. It's on Game Pass. That's just free. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and you can buy it on Steam if you don't have Game Pass it, it, or or an Epic or whatever. Like it, it's also released and and it's a discount uh, oh. price too which is also crazy to me. Like, it's not a full-priced game, and I'm like, clearly should be. It's fucking... Hmm. It's so damn polished. It's better than most of the full-release games that are out there. Um, To tell you how good it is, Dead Space is one of my favorite games, and as I've been playing Dead Space, I was like, I kind of want to go back and play Hi-Fi Rush. (laughs) And so I just switched back over. That's how good it is. Uh, Anyway, that's it for um, what I've been playing and what we've all been playing. Um, lots of good games, lots of new games, fun games. Uh, let's move into our topic, which was given to us by R2D2 1999 on the uh, uh, the Discord. And by the way, because they asked, like, are you guys still taking questions? We do still take questions if you have stuff for us. We just don't have, like, a dedicated question segment anymore because we realized the questions are just kind of a topic. <laughs> mm. uh, and we, yeah. you know, this is episode 102. There's not that many questions to ask. <laughs> um, but the topic they gave in is, when do you guys no longer consider a game as modern? Quote, unquote. And I'm just going to read what R2D2 said first, and then we'll give our thoughts here. Because for me, I would think that games like, you know, 10 plus years old are no longer modern. But then there's games like Minecraft made in 2011, and it's still getting updates. And that's something I wanted to hit on as well, actually. But I want to hear from you as well. What is your kind of, definition of a modern game tricky right i don't know that i have a definition because i think there's what is modern and there's what feels modern um and i mean the example i keep coming back to is how um modern certain retro games super metroid is the obvious one despite the fact that that came out in 94 you could be forgiven for thinking that was like a, a modern sort of small team indie project that was just really lovingly put together and perfectly there um 
So there's a question mark over like what feels like it is of the current day. But I think in terms of like when a game isn't modern anymore, I still think of PS4 games as modern. I don't think of PS3 games as modern, if that makes sense. It does. But I think even before PS5 came out, I didn't really think of PS3 games as modern towards the back end of the PS4 life cycle. Um, I feel like, you know, this gen or, you know, five years out is where it starts to, to hit that point. Hmm. But it, it's such a... Um, it's it's a, a question that probably needs more context. Like, what what would you call modern? Well, I don't really know what I would call a modern game. Yeah, so I was thinking about this because I was thinking about um, like the like why because I know some people when we when we mention this sort of thing like the idea of modern versus retro, a lot of people I think push back on the definitions because they're like, well, what's the use of them? Uh, which I think is a fair instinct. Um, for me, partly what I think. Um, I actually think this conversation is quite useful because I think definitions within this help give us kind of organizing principles for like how we view games and how we um, kind of organize our thoughts and our kind of understanding of what we enjoy in gaming. Um, so like from mm. that kind of angle, I think it's actually quite useful to do this kind of um, thinking to ourselves of like, what is modern to me now? And what does modern kind of mean? And I think what you hit on there a little bit, I don't think of modern in terms of... Um, uh like you mentioned time right because i don't think um a modern game is necessarily based solely on when it is released because we could argue that for instance i mean remember we talked about um the itch games right like black iris remember last year the ps1 inspired thing that doesn't feel modern at all it feels retro right mm. um it's it's in that world because it doesn't um maintain modern aesthetics or modern control and modern um uh design and I think that, to me, is more where I enter into the modern. And I think perhaps an issue, actually, with gaming in general is that we don't, because it is such a new form of uh, entertainment, we don't actually have, like, major classifications for eras of gaming yet, um, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we'll sometimes say the aughts, or we'll say, you know, in the 90s and the 80s, whatever. But when you think of, like, furniture, even, like, honestly, just even furniture, um or film too film has these classifications but furniture will have like you know the modern era or the or even art the postmodern the renaissance da, 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 like you know romanticism all this stuff which we organize and then become um you know descriptors for the types of paintings even if they're made today you could say well, okay well they're painting in a postmodern style or in a cubist style etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, I think we kind of need some of that. We, we sort of do with gaming where we use it based on genre, but we've already noticed how ineffective that is. <laughs> like Metroidvania, right? What the fuck? Um, <laughs> everything's a Metroidvania, <laughs> apparently. Everything's a roguelite or a roguelike. Um, I think tying it to gameplay mechanics hasn't actually been uh, overly successful. That, But, you know, no definition ever really it can be. It often leaves something lacking. Um, so, okay, that's a really long preamble for <laughs> what I think in terms of modern. And again, I think it, I, I'm thinking in terms of aesthetics and gameplay. And Minecraft, I think, was a really interesting one. I didn't even realize that um, they had mentioned Minecraft until um, I was like reading and putting the comment in today. Because Minecraft, to me, if we had gone based off time, would clearly be a retro game at this point, right? I mean, years ago. 
But part of the issue, and what's interesting with that game, is that aesthetically, that game has never been retro, or has always been retro, right? Um, in terms of its aesthetic, in terms of its look. But then also, with gameplay-wise, that game is constantly maintained and updated, which I think removes it from the ability of being a retro game. It is a modern game, in the sense that it maintains, and it actually responds to the player, and what the players are interested in, and it updates and adds to its existing world, making it more and more modern as it goes along. Um, so yeah, I think that's like a case study for me that would like kind of exemplify it a little. Um, I'll, I'll talk about some more after, but Paolo, I want to hear, or you know, Rick Paolo, whatever you want to respond or add to. Yeah, I'm trying to think because there are many games that I would like, I would uh, probably consider retro anything like from the NES era or the N64 era. Like those games feel old to me, but why do they feel old? Partly is because some of the gameplay aspects of it feel old because of either console limitation or hardware limitation, or maybe because of how clunky it feels, maybe, or the arts, the overall art style, like the, the low poly aesthetic definitely fits with a more retro definition, I guess. But what I think keeps a game from being modern or like keeps a game being retro or like the other way around, I think is, is this game, does this game fit with what we consider like gaming today in a way? For example, I was thinking, hey, Age of Fires 2 is still being played, and it released all the way in 1999. And I'm like, yikes, I'm old. But also, the way they did Age of Empires 4, the way, the, the way they make it feel more like up to date, not only it's because of the graphics, but because of how they balance things out, and in the overall game design, because if you go and play Age of Empires 2, a lot of the um, civilizations feel like palette swaps of one another. Like they have very few like tangible differences between them. You have to go to the actual stats of each thing to know like how they're different. Well, in Age of Empires 4, you see the different civilizations and, and you say, yeah, these are clearly different because one of them has a clear orientation towards Calvary and this one has camels, like camel riders and they like are like anti-Calvary and stuff like that. And then you have the new civilizations that are like vastly different from anything else because of how they work. And in that way, you can see how the the more older design of the arena, of, sorry, of Age of Empires 2 starts showing the game's age. No pun intended. Um, but also you have um, moments where, or like cases where you modernize a game to fit uh, like, the, the current gamer, like, for example, uh, Link's Awakening. 
in the original uh, Game Boy, like you have the Game Boy and Game Boy collaboration, but whatever. In that case, you are so um, limited on the amount of inputs you have, yet the game kind of like went above and beyond on trying to make everything work with what little it had. But when the game went to went through the remake on Switch, um, they added like the extra the uh, button items, and they added like, hey, yeah, now you can swap the sword. You have the Bifurt sword, or and this other button for this other thing, and then you have like all these other buttons that you can move however you want to, whatever item, and. Just with that, there there isn't like anything like to to different like there isn't anything different in, in how the story is structured or how um, you you go through the world. The main difference is hey, you don't have to pause to every two minutes to swap uh, your items or like every other minute to swap your items, and that alone. I think make the game like so, like it doesn't show it, it, its age at all in that case, because you have this wonderful, beautiful world to explore, which you can go like wherever you want, which is like a concept that is like, hey, we're doing an open world concept in this game, but it is like a smaller world. You can go wherever you want pretty much, and you can try to uh, tackle some of the dungeons in, whatever, in whichever order. And in that case, it's like, like I don't know. Wait, was it? But again... That one, the game? Yeah. yeah, I don't but think again, Link's like, Awakening is not like that. Link's Awakening, you have you have a very specific order, but... Yeah, you have them a very specific yeah. order. I was uh, thinking about the other game, the um, A Link Between Worlds, that yes. does the different kind of order. But still, like... Or it, we can go with that game instead, like, but still like an older game. I think it's more than 10 years old, but whatever. Um, you have like, and that, and that from that time, like modern concepts, I guess. So the, how they try to do it is like, hey, we have more or less the same game, but we are building it again for modern uh for people that are playing now. So in that case, like, like, it's weird because it feels like old Zelda because you associate like the top-down perspective to old Zelda, but it also feels new and it doesn't feel clanky. That's what I'm trying to talk about. But I think, like, so I think you're dancing around the aesthetic and the gameplay mechanics a bit. You know what I mean? Like, because part of what yeah. it sounds like you're describing is that Link Between Worlds, for example, yes, it shares the perspective of Link to the Past, aesthetically it's yeah. been upgraded, right? It's 3D models. It's a 3D world. Yeah. It looks like in this area. And then, like you mentioned, gameplay-wise, it's unlocked. It has so many more mechanics and 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 um, assistance that I think kind of um, pushes it into that modern world, right? It like sets it next to games that you're like, I could be playing this right now. Like no one's iterated and made and improved on this yet, you know? Yeah. And I think that iteration and improvement is maybe another way of looking at this question. So maybe a game ceases to be modern when it is superseded 
Mm-hmm. Um, almost think of like the zeitgeist approach. So to go back to Age of Empires, Age of Empires 4 supersedes it in ways of balance, um, scope, scale, um, thinking, you know, to come back to the Metroid example, although Dread is more modern, arguably the, there's not necessarily the sense that Super Metroid isn't because in a lot of ways, Dread doesn't supersede it. Um, it has its own different drawbacks and failings. And that's not to say that um, only things that feel modern are things that are better. Um, but I think it's where there's progression. Yeah. Well, maybe is another way of exactly, saying Exactly, because like, one can argue that Battlefront, uh, the first new Battlefront game, which is clearly, I think, not as superior as the original Battlefront games. Battlefront 2, they got better. Um, but we would argue it certainly is modern. It definitely added modern things to it because I think that's a really important point you're bringing up that modern isn't a value statement. It's an aesthetic mm. and gameplay statement, right? It's like um, it's like a statement on uh, practices, on what's being used now and what's recognized as modernity, right? Because I think sometimes we think new better um, or that's how it gets thrown about, but that's not necessarily where we're coming from, right? Like, it's like, yeah, okay, just because this game is modern simply means it holds certain things to it. For instance, Battlefront 2, the new one, has a shit ton of microtransactions. None of that in the first Battlefront 2. Ah, there's this part of this retro in it, right? It's like this game actually has older practices within it um, than what we have now. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. And, you know, another maybe more obscure example is the the recent remake of 13, um, the Mm. the sort of comic book inspired FPS. Um, The original on PC and like, was it sixth gen PS2, GameCube, Xbox? I I forget which number's which. Might have been Um, Wii, actually. Nevertheless, that. What, Wii 360? I think so, um, yeah. PS3. Fifth or sixth gen, whichever one it happens to be, the PS2 generation, um, is absolutely objectively a better game than the modern microids remake but the remake is absolutely modern in the sense that um the graphics are better Uh, it is made with modern sensibilities in mind i think they'd added multiplayer i might be completely making that up Um, but it was in a modern engine and that gave them more options to add and supersede things in those sense and it's more readily playable i think that's also a factor Mm-hmm. Um, modernity also comes yeah. from from what you're accessing it on um whether that's you know first party supported emulation um whether that is um uh, a first party console whether that's you know needing modern pc hardware to run it i think it's not the be all and end all but it's absolutely a factor i think it's a- another thing that uh, alex briefly touched on is that we don't really have like era of gaming because the media is like so, so new at this point, but we do have at some points in time where you look at the game, for example, I can't remember the, the, the exact years, but where every other game seemed to be like made of mud in the color palette. It's Gears of War era, it's the, the late aughts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and now like, you could say the eras of gaming would be like, hey, the big guys are like trying to milk like this concept. So, for example, one of the 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 newest one is probably like the open world concept, which is very funny because there are other games that do have that concept, like 
I'm gonna say Minecraft because like you can do whatever you want in Minecraft and they, they do like things in different order or like just exist in the world and you don't really have a proper objective in those games in that game mm. to be fair I think you're talking and about you a could... different kind of open world right now too though right it's the it's the open world tower game right it's the oh yeah yeah like that is like a new modern aesthetic that is actually i think going away it's actually starting to phase out um into the battle royale <laughs> yeah the battle royale like always comes back in a way like the, the like before the 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 open world it was the battle royale and now the the open world is like phasing and the battle royale is back like No, we go through major uh, waves in gaming. Anyway, sorry, you were saying? Yeah, I was trying to think because I had an idea and it just went away. And I'm oh, sad no. now. <laughs> well, you were talking about um, the open world and how that's what is a big thing now. Minecraft, how it was an open world. but And just before that, I, what was the... Oh, yeah, I remember now. There we go. So, uh... I did say that how a game feels like when you're controlling it, like makes it feel like modern or not. Like if a game doesn't include like quality of life improvements that has been like piling up over like the last few years, like for example, a movable camera in a 3D environment. <laughs> you pretty much take that for granted, but for example, Pokemon before the Switch era, and even like Pokemon on the um, the the Let's Go remakes of uh, Pokemon Yellow, mm -hmm. they are technically well they're top down, but for example on Sun and Moon, me thinks there's no mobile camera. The camera it always follows the character through their adventure like it's something like top down and it's like let me move the camera because like some of the ambience like feel like something i should be able to move the camera in and one of the things that people actually kind of like laugh a lot laugh about online was when on x and y they said hey no not, not x and y sorry um sword and chill one of the things the developers said was like, hey, we do have a really moving camera now. And that is one thing that people usually take for granted to the degree that it was like, hey, we're playing on 2017, 18, 19, 19. We're not in the retro era where the camera couldn't move. So there are things that you expect from a modern feeling game in that regard. I, albeit that depends on genre and there's lots of sort of carve ways on that and i think I mean, yeah, it what, depends. what's interesting with that is i think if you're um asking the question um you know in, in a gaming magazine article in the early noughties when does the game cease to become modern you might be saying well um you know if you ask five years before that the advent of you know lots of first person or freely movable cameras um is something that would make certain games before them um seem less modern but i think now it is just ubiquitous and i don't think it necessarily means anything either way there are ps2 games that we absolutely wouldn't call modern that would have had 
you know, fully 3D movable cameras and, and worlds. And so there's things that um, are a factor, but will cease to become a factor. And I suppose that's the interesting thing with this question, the, uh, the goalposts are ever moving. I think that's part of the point though, isn't it? That like, um, that these items, like, and within genres, there are different things that quantify it as becoming modern. Like, and mm. you can argue that like, games can fail the standard of what's modern when they're released at times. Um, I think Pokemon consistently fails to be modern. Honestly, <laughs> I, I truly yeah. think that that series, even the most recent one is not a modern game. It feels like a retro at this point, not even retro. It feels like something else, right? It feels like it, it misses the bar <laughs> of modern. Like, honestly, I really think so. Like dead space, the remake, for instance, is a game where it feels extremely modern where you're like, wow, this is hitting on all of um, like the most current, practices within gaming and in improving things to make it feel seamless now right with the material that it has and maybe that's another thing too because Paolo you hit on this is like the controls but also the feel of a game right where it's like does the game function right now with as limited as possible roadblocks to get into it you know what I mean where like the yeah. game goes smoothly you can jump into it it's fine it works it functions with the current you know whatever that you have so you start to enter it and maybe we need more um because again we just added the retro thing onto this this really was only talking about modern but i almost feel like we need more definitional you know, definitions besides retro right because like like think about classic cars and stuff they have all these different definitions for the different kinds um and i sort of wish we had some of that too um because there are games that it's like i wouldn't say you know for instance i still don't think sun and moon is retro at this point i wouldn't call them that but i do think there's something you know they're not they're certainly not modern, but mm. they're not quite in a retro world yet. Uh, outdated, perhaps. <laughs> there is something important you picked up there, though, which is that the retro is sort of an important point in that assessment. So, like, um, when we talk about quality of life improvements and things lacking those quality of life improvements, I think that's at the core of what makes something cease to be modern is when there are newer games that have improvements that it is so obvious coming back um that that game lacks i think maybe another interesting one that, that comes to mind in that regard is uh if you were to play borderlands 2 having played borderlands 3 um as you understand it 3 adds uh vaulting um more integrated sort of cover mechanics uh things that then when you go back and play borderlands 2 you recognize that you lack those things in the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay yeah I, I yeah yeah i'm with you on that i mean that's like you know it's like red dead redemption 2 releases and red dead is now officially fully retro <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> was still kind of fine it was fun to play but you're like oh bye bye and like even um yeah yeah outdated i think is, is maybe one of the ways to say it like games become outdated really quickly um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, again, this is not a quality statement, but I do think it's an important thing to note. Like, you know, there's lots of us who wait to play games until much later. And the reality is that it's like, that's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. But also keep in mind that you're going to be very far behind on some of the quality of life improvements that have happened. Maybe it's a better idea to do that so that you don't get spoiled by the quality of life improvements because it can make going back to outdated games sort of tough sometimes. Like, I won't lie. I play tons of retro games. Love it. But there are moments in those games where I'm like, God, I really wish people had discovered this at this point. <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm. 
Like, like, and usually it's around save systems and stuff where you're just like, man, eh, like I really wish people knew about this or um, were able to implement this or that, et cetera, et cetera. 90s era game menus are a roller coaster. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. I don't on that note, they... has anyone got really? anything particular they want to jump in with on this, or have we exhausted what we have potentially? I actually have like a very, like I guess a weird question, but would you qualify a game where you need to read the manual to get started, like a retro game, because like. That is one thing that all their games have, like they they have like a, a an actual um, little book with them that is the game manual, and in that case, would you consider games that need you to go through that game game manual to understand what the fuck you're doing a retro game? Well, flip that, that question around. Like one of the things that would have made a game that required that feel outdated or, or no longer be considered modern is the fact that newer games were coming out with capacity on the cartridge to include a tutorial to explain yeah. what you need to do as part of the game. Exactly. So I think, yeah, definitely that's something that, that would be a disqualifier from the moniker modern. Yeah, big time, big time. I, I think... I, I think that... go, go ahead, Rick. No, 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 you're okay. I was... <laughs> oh, all right. I think I was... Well, shit. Now I don't know if I remember... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, like I, I agree with you where it's like that immediately to me, if a game requires me to do that, I would immediately be like, this is outdated. Um, this is, this is to me, it would feel as though this game is making a choice to n reject modern usage of gaming. Right. Um, and, and I, I don't think you could even, I, I, I truly think at this point, if you're not embracing modern, um, design you're choosing to embrace outmoded design which is fine because there might be a specific reason that you need to do that but i think a la tunic exactly right and tunic picks this and it, it picks and chooses its modern and its out and its retro um okay. you know sensibilities uh, and it mixes them and i think there's a real beauty and blend that can happen with that right because like we said modern doesn't always mean better it just means modern it means current <laughs> um mm. so i yeah. think but I think this is also why it's important to recognize what is modern and what is not, because it allows you to decide um, and help pick and choose what you want to be referencing. And, and also, how much of a feel do you want your game to have, right? Do you want your game to really evoke a sense of retro? For instance, I'm thinking even on a lot of itch stuff does this, right? I'm thinking of Black Castle, right? Where I go, okay, I play that game and I recognize a lot of what the game's doing because it's using retro mechanics from a really specific line of games in a time period. Now, the issue is that that's extremely isolating, right? Um, for a lot of gamers, um, but they choose that and that aesthetic works as a whole. Um, so anyway, there it's decisions that must be made. <laughs> and it's not unique to gaming as well. It's worth maybe taking a brief moment to recognize that um, an easy analog is the lighthouse. Um, the mm. Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson film, where they chose to shoot in 4.3, they chose to film in black and white because they're evoking a sense of place and time. And although mm. gaming is a younger medium, um, just the same, it is a choice uh, with its own pros and cons um, that you make with an intended outcome. Yeah. I mean, anytime a game chooses to, um, you know, do the, the 2D aesthetic, 
you immediately enter into a retro uh, world, right? Like, mm. um, I don't care how advanced you make your game, you can't really escape the fact that that is an outmoded version of game design, which is fine because some of my favorite games are 2D. But it is going to, like, you are going to create illusions within your audience to retro games, uh, which can be good or bad because if you're not excellent, I'm immediately going to be thinking about those great 2D games that I've played. Lots of competition, yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Cool. That's a good conversation. Anything else you want to add, Paula? I don't know if you had anything else pop in there. Uh, not really. Just trying to think, like, where some games like Visual Novels fall into. Like, obviously, like, not Wonder because it barely has gameplay, but well, it isn't really, really retro. Like, those were outmoded the minute they were made. <laughs> I mean, they're a <laughs> novel like, <laughs> on a computer. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly think almost every single one of those is outmoded and, and outdated. Um, and that's fine because that whole genre, that genre rarely modernizes anything. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but again, you could argue that within the genre, there are modern practices. Um you know what I mean? Like, like being able to skip everything you have already read. Exactly. Like that's a modern practice for a for an unmodern system of gaming. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now that we've thoroughly discussed, uh, actually, we really did discuss that for a while. That was like thirty minutes on modernity. So, good question. Please, if you have any other questions, let us know. But now, let's go hmm. to. How long to beat the game? It's my turn because we're in a new round. Rick won last one. Um, so we're gonna play. So he's gonna decide what's what's the next game. Um, we should do something on Game Pass again because they're really good. <laughs> uh, if Paolo would play Citizen Sleeper first, please, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Okay, randomizing now. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of this. Um, yeah, actually, this is a really interesting one. This is a game called Doom and Destiny. Uh, Ooh. It's an old school RPG with an unconventional mood. Strange events bring four nerdy friends in a fantasy world made of cliches, strange people, and a lot of humor. Uh, oh, okay, I can't read the rest of it because it's a spoiler in terms of how much time is in the game. <laughs> Literally, the next line was like featuring blank amounts of hours of fun. <laughs> Uh, I, I've literally never heard of it. Me neither. It has an indie games thing at the top. Uh, it was released for mobile, PC, and Xbox One in 2011. Um, okay. Yeah. And Xbox One specifically. That's surely that. Wait, before I go into this, uh, maybe can you not check Xbox, if there's like a spoiler? Don't like, go on um, how long to beat. And in fact, I wouldn't look up much of this, please. Uh, don't click on anything with writing because you might get a spoiler for it because it's log line, I think, talks about the hours. So, oh, tread carefully. Okay. But that could just be on how long. Okay. It takes. I don't know. Just... I'm gonna go steam before I open the page. Then I can describe it for you. Look up images and stuff. Um, okay, okay. But yeah, it looks. It's. I've just never, ever, ever heard of this. Um. Yeah, it doesn't look bad. Yeah. I don't know. Um. I wonder how it rated. That would be an interesting one down the line. So obviously you're going to want main, main plus yeah. and like 100%. And I think what I'm going to want, 
Let's see here. How many people have this game backlogged? Ooh, okay. Because I think that's interesting, considering we've just heard of this game today. But has the world just heard of this game today? Also, when was this game made? Like, it kind of like yeah, reminds me of... Yeah, the menu system reminds me of RPG Maker. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of the developer, Heartbit Interactive. I've never heard of that. Um, which I don't know what that means. It, I mean, could mean could mean anything, really. I mean, they might have been doing <coughs> a lot of stuff. Who knows? My I'm, not, in. I'm not always super up to date on all this. Okay, I think... I'm Wait, this is the base Human Destiny, not Human Destiny Advance? Because I just learned their There's no Doom Advance. and Destiny. I think it's the it's original just, one. It's just I Doom think. and Destiny. Yeah, I, I have nothing else to indicate that this is anything besides the original. Because there's, there's a Doom and Destiny something out on Switch. Yeah. Oh, is there? Interesting. Wait. That yeah. was like the, the first thing that came up when I Googled it was Doom and Destiny Worlds out now on Nintendo Switch. Okay, so it's a series yeah, that's ongoing, cool. I guess. That's interesting. Sure, it looks that way, yeah. Oh, yeah, it anyway. really has that RPG Maker vibe, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that a good way of putting it. shit aesthetic. I fucking hate that aesthetic so, so much. The way you so hope the gameplay speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I under, like I, I respect that it's a thing, and like I, you know, it's nice that it allows people to make games, you know? Like, I'm not... Mm. I don't want to, like, totally harsh on it too much, but uh, personally, I find the aesthetic... <laughs> appalling. Wait, how many people have are playing the game, or have how many people have game. it backlogged? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How many have it backlogged? Interesting. Yeah. I, rarely do we get a game that I've just never heard of, but it, this one seemed interesting to me. Okay, this, I go. think, Ludopocalypse or whatever it was called, and like maybe one or two others. Yeah, a bunch of the booby ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The ones we're pretending we haven't heard of. I mean, legit, I hadn't heard of some of those ones. Like the <laughs> waifu space shooter or whatever. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. That was, that was we, something. We've got um, some times in here. So uh, let's go through this. So for um, uh, main time here, Rick is saying 10 hours and Paula is saying 12 hours. And Paula is right on the money. It is, in fact, 12 yeah. hours. So that's going to be one point to Paula. Um, next up, we've got uh, main plus. So in this one, Paula has said 18 hours and Rick has said 20 hours. Uh, and the time is, in fact, 22 hours. So Rick just gets up on that one. One oh. Okay. Next we have uh completionist. So or one hundred percent basically. Rick has said twenty-four hours and Paula has said thirty hours. It's actually thirty and a half hours. So that is going to Paula. Wee. Very close. Now the next one here is the backlogs. And Paula has said fifteen have this backlogged and Rick has said 130. <sighs> and you're both really off. It's actually two hundred. That have backlogged. Wait, no. Yes, 200. exactly two hundred. Really? Yeah. So Rick's gonna get it for being closest. Um, but that's pretty darn close. Uh, close here. Um, it's currently Rick with three points, Paula with two. So, yeah, pretty even scoring I mean, there. 
I figured it would be high with some sequels. I didn't think it'd be 200 high. It's actually. I, I thought I'd overshot, to be honest. Yeah, it has a 71% rating on how long to beat. Um, it looks okay. like it's more of like a 60 game, though. Like all the ratings are in like the 60, 70, 80. One person has rated it one. <laughs> nah. um, or like 10. But uh, yeah, it seems like it might be an okay game. Who knows? Um, I will never play it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's overwhelmingly positive on Steam by the looks of it. Doom and Destiny? Weird. Yeah. I mean, they've got a screenshot that's, that's pointing to it on their um, on their website. Hmm. Well, I mean, listen, look. there's too many games out there, but yeah, tell me, report report to us. What's going on with this game? Doom and Destiny. I've only seen Doom and Destiny Worlds. Where's the original? Well, that's maybe that's the one that's uh, actually doing well. Maybe they've like screen grabbed overwhelmingly positive from like a decade well, ago. Well, World says um, like mostly positive. That makes ah, sense. there we are. Original Doom and Destiny. Uh, no, to be fair, all reviews overwhelmingly positive. 96% of the 2011 user reviews. Recent reviews oh. are very positive. 100% from 14 in the last 30 days. Gosh, that's very... The more you look at it, the more RPG Maker it is. It looks like a horrible sort of halfway house between RPG Maker and those like nasty um, mobile ports that Square Enix did before they did the Pixel remasters. I guess for some, that is an aesthetic that they enjoy, I guess. I mean, maybe if you grew up playing those RPG Maker ones, I suppose that might... It might tickle your fancy or something. I don't know. I, I just haven't Maybe. understood it. <laughs> um, nope. Personally, to me, it's a little baffling, but um, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. You know what I'm saying? You just yeah. you do you. <laughs> and well, uh, I one one nice little bit of news as well. I'm looking at the Hi-Fi, whatever it's called, page on uh, on Steam, and it looks like Hi-Fi Rush. looks like the, uh, the required specs for that are actually shockingly low. So that doesn't surprise me. Playing that soon. It stylistically looks beautiful, but it doesn't like look like it's trying to like push the limits of technology. You know what I mean? Like it's like we just mm. want it to look. We want it to aesthetically look excellent, but we're not trying to like break um, anyone's computer. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. All right. Well, All right. that is it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hell Long Be podcast. We'll be back next week. Peace.